All right, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So God is looking for people on the earth that have a yes in their heart. That will say, yes, Jesus, I will respond to you. That we're, we're putting yes everywhere in our life. We're painting it on our rooftop so when heaven looks down, he can see it. We're putting it as Pastor Chad, my friend Pastor Chad and Burleson said, he said, we, we got our flat bill on it. It says yes on our flat bill. We're saying, yes, Jesus, we got a shirt that says yes. We've got yes on our forehead. What Jesus, whatever you want, I'm all about it. I'm all about the yes of my spirit. I'm all about, yes, God, whatever you want, whatever you want to reveal to me. Yes, yes, yes. This is a response of my life. And so it says that the Lord is looking on the earth for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. Hearts that are just, man, Lord, whatever your willingness. How many know sometimes a yes, sometimes it's just an okay. Right? Are you with me? And, and I think Jesus can do a lot in the okay. I think that he can, you know, when God called us to plant this church, it was really not really a yes. We were kind of like, okay, but we were agreeing that God's way was best. So we were saying yes to Jesus, unsure and uncertain of what he was calling us into. But our, but the, but our heart cry was yes, God, yes, whatever you want us uh, to do. And, and so in talking about this, I wanted to talk, spend some time this morning talking about the bridal paradigm, talking about the yes of the bride. How many know that, that uh, when you get engaged one day, you're, men, you're going to hope that woman's going to say yes, right? Whenever you walk down the aisle, when you make that commitment, you hope that she's going to come into agreement. Women, you hope that that man is going to ask you, right? You don't need to be the other way around, but you want that man to pursue your heart. You're going to want that agreement. You're going to want that yes, I, I want you forever. And so when we talk about marriage, when we talk about a wedding, really throughout Scripture, we see this theme. And one of the great themes of, of all of Scripture is really a wedding. It's one of the great themes of Scripture. When we look in the book of Revelation, when we get a glimpse into eternity, there's two things that we see. One thing is we see 24-hour, night-and-day worship around the throne forever. But we also see a picture in the book of Revelation of a wedding. Of the great, the wedding of the ages. And so when we look at that, we, we kind of think our customs, American customs, 2014s of a wedding. Most people, we were talking about Leslie's getting to do her first wedding this week. And most people, when they think about wedding, they're not thinking about the ceremony at all. They're kind of thinking about afterwards, right? The, at the after party, right? The marriage supper. That's all they're thinking about. But, but usually for us as ministers, we're thinking about the ceremony because we're, we're trying to get that all nailed out. And that's our part. That's the part we play. But usually the couple's spending so much time especially in America, thinking about what are we going to do after, what kind of music are we going to play, what kind of food we're going to have, and all these different things that consume our mind. And, we've, we, and we leave out kind of the covenant of it. Are you with me? So, so the most important thing about the wedding is not the after party. Come on. But it's the covenant that's made and, and the, the consummation that happens later, honestly. And so um, I encourage you that aren't married yet, to, to put your emphasis where it needs to be. Do those things. Those are great. But the most important thing is that vow that you take before God. And, uh, you know, I get very frustrated when people bail on their marriages, whatever the reason is, uh, because it's like you made a commitment not just to that spouse, but you made a commitment before God. Like those, that's what we call them vows, because we're saying yes to Jesus and yes to this person at the same time. And that's forever. And we want to be as committed as the Lord is to our word. We want to 
to be committed as Jesus is uh, to the things that he said. So I want to take a glimpse and take you guys back. What a, what a wedding looked like in Jewish culture. That what would happen is, is a son would leave his father's house and he would go on a journey. And uh, the, the, the Hebrew word for this is shirukin or shirikin is how they uh, say it, you know, and I'm not real good at pronouncing that stuff. But what would happen is, is a son would leave his father's house and he would go on a journey looking for a wife. And, he, and we see this in where Isaac left Abraham and he, he said, these are the things that are going to happen whenever I see a woman doing this. This is going to be the sign of the Lord. This is going to be my woman. And so we see this all throughout scripture, a man leaving his father's house and going to look for a, a woman, right? A journey to look for a woman. And so once he finds a wife, what he does is once he finds this wife and there's like this connection there, then he goes to her father. Come on, are you with me? And he doesn't just ask for the father's blessing. He's not asking something for the father, which is a good thing to do. He actually produces something for the father. He gives a gift or he gives a sum of money. We call this the dowry. Or he would, do, he would say, okay, I want your daughter. What, what will you require of me to prove that my love is worthy for her? And then so at that, the father would decide what the amount was for his daughter. It wasn't like he was... He was saying, well, my daughter's uh, worth this much money. He's not really put a price tag on her, but what he's saying is, my daughter is, I want to see what you're willing to do for love. And so what he says is, okay, what are you willing to do for love? What are you willing to do? And then he says, well, this is what I want. And so we see this in scripture many times, the dowry. We see Jacob for Rebecca, whenever he, he went uh, for uh, before her father, and he said, hey, I want your daughter. What's it going to cost me? And he's not saying it like, again, it's not a price tag, but he's like, what, what do I have to do to prove that I'm the worthy man for your daughter? And he said, I want you to work for me seven years. And so he worked for her seven years. And I love one of my favorite passages of scripture when he says that he worked for seven years. He said, it seemed like a day. Because this woman was on his heart. And then we know that at the end of those seven, seven years, it felt like a day that, that he pulled the, the veil back and it was Leah. It wasn't even Rachel. He's like, well, what do I have to do to get Rachel? Oh, well, Rachel, you gave me Leah. He's like, well, you got to work another seven years. So he did. We see for David, whenever he went out and, and find uh, Michael, he, he said, or, or Michael, whatever he, uh, you want to call her name. He, 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 when he approached her father, he said, what do you want? He said, uh, he said I want the foreskins of 200 Philistines. Those are dowries. Those are a price. You want my daughter? then this is what you've got to do. Wow. That's, that's the cost for my daughter. Right? So once the dowry was accepted, once that price was paid, then they entered into what we would consider an engagement process. But in biblical times, it was betrothment, or they were betrothed. And so Basically, what would happen is, is that is the man and the woman would come into a covenant together called betrothment, and they would be betrothed. And what would happen is that was a legal binding dog. That was like, it was like marriages today, except for they didn't live with one another. But they came into an agreement, and, they, and people actually recognized them as husband and wife, but there was no consummation of the marriage yet. They weren't living together. They weren't functioning together as husband and wife, but they belonged to one another. And uh, we see this in Song of Solomon. Whenever Solomon was, you know, with the, uh, with the Shumanite woman, we see that, uh, that there were many other people that came to her. 
She was in this process. She was already committed to Solomon. And we see that other men would come to her and try to get her, steal away her affections. And she would say, no, 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 I'm reserved for Solomon. And we see that, 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 that during this process, because what would happen is they would make this agreement. And then the husband would tell the wife, he would say, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to prepare a room for you. And I'm going to go. And then there, there could be a, a time period up to about 12 months, about a year would happen that they would come together in covenant, then they would separate while he would go and he would make plans to be to have the wedding with this woman. So they were already considered husband and wife. They were already in covenant, but they were separated. So they had this separation and preparation. So during these 12 months, they prepared. And, uh, you know, isn't it interesting that when the disciples were like, Jesus, we're so frustrated. Like, why are you going to leave us? We want you here forever. We want you. We, why do you got to go? Why do you want to go? And this is what he says in John chapter 14. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. Well, why does it say many rooms? Well, when that, when that uh, husband would go away, he would go back to his father's house. And he would build a room actually on to his father's house. This is called the bridal chamber. And he would build this room. So what Jesus tells his disciples when he leaves, he says, listen, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he said, don't worry. There's not just one room. I'm going to prepare many rooms. I'm going to prepare. Then we, we talk about, oh, we're going to have our mansion in heaven. That's not what Jesus was talking about. Get, the, get Hollywood out of your mind. Listen, Jesus is saying, I am preparing a bridal chamber for you and I. I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare it. And so when Jesus is talking this, he is talking wedding language. And so they knew this in the day. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust also in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. So that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And we know that Jesus is the way. So the groom would go to prepare a place. And the bride would prepare herself. So we have this picture where Jesus leaves to go to prepare a place for us. A bridal chamber. And we as the bride are preparing ourselves. Are you with me? And then there was a procession. So we have these things, the selecting of the bride, the patrolment, the separation and preparation. And then there was a procession. So after a year of the husband preparing the place and the bride preparing herself, when the, when the husband was ready, all right? When the hus- now the bride had to be ready. She didn't know when it was going to happen. All right? So she's sitting there, she's waiting, she's preparing herself for a year. And, he, and when he gets done, when he's got that place prepared, he comes back and he sends, a, a, they would have like a deputy. kind of. Like, and this was the picture of John the Baptist. They would have a person that would come and that would prepare the way for the bridegroom. And they, they would be, that John the Baptist anointing, they'd be like, hey, here it is. They'd say a shout. And they would come out to this other city or this other village far away. And they would send this person out. And with the shout, they would yell, Behold, the bridegroom comes. And when they said that, all of a sudden, the bridesmaids, the virgin and the bride, would begin to prepare themselves. And they put oil in their lamp. And they do all the, the final preparations, just the few final preparations. They, they've done all these other things, but they just make the final preparations. And when he comes, it's, it, it, what, what would happen it was the, the husband would actually dress up like a king. 
Listen, he had dressed up in kingly garb and he had put on like frankincense and myrrh and all these beautiful spices. And he would come. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And he would come like a warrior king. And he would pick up his bride and then he would take his bride with a procession. And they would come back all throughout the journey of the land and come back to the father's house. Then they would go into that room that he prepared for, for seven days, for a week. And the whole time that that's happening, there's a party going on outside. And they're like, hey, we want to see the bride. Because whenever they come in, she's got her face covered. We want to see her. We want to see what she looks like. We want to see how beautiful she is. And he would go into this room. They would stay in there for seven days consummating the marriage. Isn't that awesome? My wife and I, after our wedding, we went on a cruise for seven days. Right? We won't go into a lot of details, but... It was good to get away for seven days. And so at the end of seven days, they would come out and they would party some more. In light of this, we see the beauty of King Jesus in all of this. We, we, we see that Jesus came on the earth for a journey looking for a bride. Listen, Jesus didn't just, he, he came to, to save the sins of the world. But why? Because to give us The garments. To give us the fine linen. To give us the clean clothes. To provide for us something so we could be a bride that would be ready for his return. And so, I want to talk about the responses of the bride. We are the bride of Christ. We talked a lot about that during the the Lover series. And this is kind of tying in with that. So I want to talk about three responses of the bride. And the first response is say yes to love. Say yes to love. Everybody say, say yes, yes. to love. Amen. Hosea chapter 2 verse 16. In that day de- declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. See, the problem is, is so many of us, we have this view of Jesus that he's just this authoritarian figure. That he's just, he's, he's just making demands of us. He's just making requirements of us. That he's just this kind of strict taskmaster. And he's making these demands. Now listen, he is a king and he rules. And we submit to that. But listen, his, he is saying, you won't call me master. You will call me husband. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. Because the servant doesn't know about his master's business. Instead, I have called you friend. So we say yes to love. We say yes to his love for us. Listen, we have got to get secure in the love of God. We've got to get secure in the love of God. First John chapter uh, 4 verse 19 says, We love because he first loved us. The only way you can love God is to recognize that God loves you. It takes God to love God. And so if we are going to say yes to love, then we've got to understand that we're saying yes to his love over me. That his love is enough. Did you know that God's delight in you has very little to do with your performance? It's very little to do. God likes you not because you're good. In fact, God likes it better when you're honest with him and you're like, I'm really not that good on my own. He likes that approach better. But even if you think wrongly about that, his delight in you is unchanging. His delight in you does not shift according to your performance, according to what, how bitter you are, 
or how angry you are. His love for you is unending and it's stable. It does not change. His emotions for you are steady. It, it does not move. But what if, no, there's no what if. He loves you. He already came on the journey and he already picked you to be his bride. That is not changing. You're the one he wants. His delight in you will not shift according to your shakiness. You're unstable. I'm unstable. We are unstable. But his love is constant. It is unmoving as his floor is. You can move, you can shift, you can leave. His love remains. It stays still. John 15 verse 16, it says, You do not choose me, but I chose you. So we're going to talk about, well, I picked Jesus. You said yes. That's all you did. He said, I want you. And you go, I'm in. That's all you've done. That the, 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 the most righteous thing that you will ever do is whenever you answer Jesus saying, I want you. And you say, okay, pick me. That's the most righteous thing that you'll ever do. That will establish your righteousness. So we must get to the point to where we say, God, your love is enough. Uh, Misty Edwards, who's an incredible worship leader uh, up at uh, International House of Prayer, uh, she said that she went on this fast, and she's like, Lord, she's like, oh, I love you, I love you, uh, and uh, I just want you to do a good work in my life, and all this kind of stuff. So she's fasting. She said, I think she said she was fasting milkshakes, and she said she would, she would fast, and she would go lay down on the couch. She'd be like, okay, Jesus, speak to me, speak to me. And he would say, I love you. She'd be like, okay, that's great, Lord, that's great. And so the next day she'd come back and be like, Jesus, what do you want to say to me? He's like, I love you. And she's like, oh, I'm so frustrated. Lord, I know that. I know that you love me. And he said, when will that be enough? I'll never forget that. It'll mark my heart. When will God's love be enough for you? Listen, I'm telling you it is enough. But when will you come into agreement and say, God, your love is enough? If I don't ever get another thing in my life, your love is enough. If everything else crumbles around me, your love is enough. The fact that you love me is enough. I don't have to do anything else, God, to serve you. Your love is enough. We're not trying to make deals. Your love is enough. And so we make deals with God. God, you know, magic genie God. Hey, if you you do this, I'll serve you. If you give me this much money, I'll, I'll do this. If you provide this for me, I'll... Shake nations. God's like, my love's enough. Is the dowry that Jesus paid enough? Or is it not enough? Through difficulty, through instability, his love is enough. It's just enough. When will we get this? God, your love is enough. It's enough not to be discouraged. It's enough not to be depressed. It doesn't matter what's going on in my life. His love is enough for me to wake up with excitement in my heart every day. His love is enough. His love is enough. No matter what people do to me, no matter how hard life gets, no matter how embittered I'm tempted to be, His love is enough. It's enough. You know, some of us, we spend so much time just trying to persuade people. Man, I know I do. As a pastor, as a leader, I'm always trying to persuade people. Come on, give a little more. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's like, I feel like sometimes we're, we're, we kind of act like that with God. We're kind of like, Lord, if, I, if you do this, kind of, I'll perform a little better. If the situation is right, and he's like, the situation is right. I love you. I gave you Jesus. I gave you my very best. 
Is it enough? Jesus came on the earth in search, in search, in search for love, looking for a bride. The Elohim, come on, was looking. He was on the Shirochim, right? The Elohim was. And he was looking for you and he was looking for me. He was saying, where is my bride? This is what he came for. So after we recognize that God's love is enough, then we say yes and we respond with our love to him. Did you know that it's really just all about loving God? It's really all just about loving God. In fact, they were like, hey, Jesus, what do you want us to do? What's the greatest commandment? Come on. Surely it's going to be like working in the temple all the days of our life. Surely it's going to be something like has to do with service. It had to do far more than with service. Because everything comes from this fountain. He says, this is what it is. You want to know? You want me to break it down for you? Let me break down all the law. Let me break down all the prophets. Let me, let me break down all these books that have been written and all the philosophy and all the ideas of the world. Let me break it all down for you. And they're like, okay. Love the Lord your God. You must. Matthew twenty two thirty seven. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then Jesus says, then love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, the law and the prophets, they all hang. It all comes down to love. Let me just tell you that when Jesus gave us that, it wasn't just a commandment. It was a covenant. It was a covenant saying, this is what it's all about. It's all about the love connection that we have together. It's all about me loving you which is constantly unchanging and you just recognizing that and then you loving me back. This covenant is likened to a marriage because its value is weighted in love. It's weighted in love. So we say yes to love as the bride. Number two. We say yes to readiness. Revelation chapter 19 verse 6. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters. And like loud peals of thunder. Shouting. Hallelujah. For the Lord God almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad in him. And give him glory. For the wedding of the lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. And fine stands, fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. So we're saying yes to readiness. Listen, there is a shout that's going to happen. There's going to be a shout from heaven and a procession of King Jesus coming back to get his bride, to take her to the chamber, the place he's been preparing. And there will be a shout going forth. Behold, the bridegroom comes. But will there be a bride who has made herself ready? So when this beautiful man comes to get us and he's going, this is a woman that I can't take my eyes off of. There was much preparation. The, 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 the bride would actually, she would, she would do these things. He's preparing the party. He's preparing the room. He's doing all this. Nowadays, you know, usually the bride's doing all the work and the guy's kind of sitting back, you know, 
kind of, you know, doing whatever he does, <laughs> just what he's always done. And usually the bride's the one running around, right? And, but in those days, she was just doing a couple of things. She was getting her garment ready and she was getting her body ready. And so what, one of the things that the, that the bride would do is she began to buff her face, kind of like an exfoliating thing. It, what? Oh, yeah. She began to buff her face and began to rub her fa- face until it was a, 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 a luster, until it began to shine like marble. And they just began to rub their face. So when, they, when Jesus shows up in the brilliance of his glory, he will be able to see himself in us. Because we've done so much work to prepare and to, to buff off all the blemishes and to buff off all the junk off our face. So you say, man, Lord, I've been preparing. I've been preparing, been preparing for these ages. We've been preparing, Lord, for 2,000 years for you to come and we're just getting ready. We're just getting ready. So we see, we talk about how bad the earth is, but I can tell you right now that the bride is, is more ready than she's ever been. The church is more radiant than she's ever been. We, we can talk about the compromise of the church and you can talk about all that, but I'm telling you, there is more revival happening right now on the earth then there is abandonment. And there is a lot of abandonment. Scripture speaks that there will be a great apostasy, that the love of most will grow cold. But he that stands to the firm, firm to the end will be saved. However, there's a great revival happening on the earth. It's not a series of meetings, but it's the awakening of heart saying, Lord, we will prepare ourselves. We will be your true bride. The church is experiencing revival. The fact is, is are you willing to step into revival? Revival's here. We don't have to pray for it. It's here. It's ready. It's waiting on us. It's waiting for us to say yes to revival. Another message we could have added on. We're counting on him to make us ready. But we as the bride must prepare ourselves. There's a readiness and purity. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 32 says, Does a maiden forget her jewelry, a bride her wedding ornaments? Yet my people have forgotten me days Without number. I remember probably one of the most powerful moments of my life. If you guys can act like an adult for a minute. Leslie and I had our wedding, we did our party, and we go back to the hotel room. And she gives me this candle and she looks at me. With fiery eyes and says, you are the only man I will ever know. There was no greater gift that I could ever be given in my life than what she gave me in that moment, her purity. That she said, I have not touched another man. This is for you, my whole life, for you. But sadly, as so many of us, we're betrothed, we're committed to this man, and we're out chasing other lovers. And we're wondering, Jesus, why has it been so long? And rather than being like the Shumanite woman that we see in the Song of Solomons, where she reserved herself, we're playing around with other lovers. We're allowing them to steal our affections. We're gazing into their eyes. We're playing their games. And Jesus is going, I just want a bride that will make herself ready. Listen, Jesus loves us. It's unchanging. But we must start walking in the righteousness that has been provided for us. In Matthew 25, I'm going to skip reading it. 
because there's a lot of reading. But in Matthew 25, we see three stories. We see a, a story of the sheep and the goats. Or at the end of the age, that the sheep and the goats are standing. And then we see a, another parable about the talents, which we've talked about before. And then we see another parable about these ten virgins ten virgins or bridesmaids. Let me just read it. Matthew chapter 25 verse 1. It says, The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of ten bridesmaids or virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. The five who were foolish did not take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. Now this is, this is a picture of the bride waiting for the bridegroom to come and she's got her wedding party with her. Are you guys with me? Yeah. So she's got oil in her lamp. So if he comes at night, they can see. Right. And it says there were five foolish and five wise. The five wise were the ones that had oil in their lamps. The other ones were kind of wasting their oil. All the bridesmaids got up to prepare their lamps. Um, let me back up. When the bridegroom was delayed... They all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out to meet him. And all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Oh, he's here. It's time. We've been waiting for this. We've been waiting a year. Here it is. And the five foolish asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go and shop and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going to go buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those, then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and locked the door. Later, the other five bridesmaids returned. The procession had already happened. And they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. Jesus is given a parable and he's talking about Again, this wedding that gives us a very clear picture of this culture that we've been talking about. But he's also saying, will you be prepared with the oil? We have oil in your lamp. Are you preparing that? The oil here, I believe, is speaking of intimacy with Jesus. How much intimacy do you have in your life for Jesus? Have you said yes to love? Have you said yes? What does your relationship with God consist of? Praying around a dinner table? Now I lay me down, down to sleep? That ain't enough oil. How much oil are you putting in your lamp? I'm telling you, hour and a half on Sunday mornings isn't going to cut it. Or if we added 15 programs a week, not going to cut it. The intimacy is made in the secret place. Are you willing to go to the store, the secret place, and get enough oil? So that your lamp doesn't burn out. So if, the, so if the procession back, the journey back gets long. This is why the love of most will grow cold. They were the five foolish. And they'll be like, Lord, we waited for you to come. And he's like, but you were not ready. And they will fall away. Just like these foolish virgins. So we're going to say yes. We're going to say yes to love. We're going to say yes to being ready. And number three, we're going to say yes to longing for the bridegroom to come. I remember when I first came to Jesus, there was a, a young woman in our church and she had a, a boyfriend. 
And they were dating. And she, I, I, they, I remember she got pregnant. And we're not just, we're not going to deal with the, the issue of that. But, but this was her reasoning. She wanted to get pregnant. She's like, we want to get pregnant. So we'll have to get married. Because our parents won't let us get married any other way. So in case Jesus comes back, we want to make sure that we experience this. Having a child, being married. This was her reasoning. I'm like, what are you living for? There's nothing wrong with getting married and having children. You're kind of doing it backwards. But the whole mindset is that she was like, we want to be able to enjoy our life before Jesus returns. We want to be able to receive everything the world has to offer. You have totally missed it. If this is your mindset. This is not kingdom-minded. The, the focus of our life is Jesus. Listen, the reason why the disciples were so powerful is because Jesus said, I'm going to come back, and they believed they would see it during their, in, in, in their lifetime. And so they lived like that. They're like, we're going to go. We're going to go get the oil, and we're going to do all the preparations. We're going to be ready, Jesus, so when you return. And he didn't return. And so what we've been doing is we've just been kind of losing sight of that and not really longing for the bridegroom to come. We're kind of living in another village, playing games, running around with other lovers, using our oil for cooking and cleaning and all these other things, but we don't have any oil in our lamps, so when Jesus returns, we wouldn't be ready. So why wouldn't he come back? Because he wants a bride, as scripture just said, just said just, we just read, said, that has made herself ready. We were righteous at the cross, but he is still looking for a bride that will make herself ready. That total, complete yes. The longing that says, I want you to come, Jesus. Most of us, if we were honest, we would say, I really don't want the Lord to come back. Because I have this I want to do in my life. And I want this, that. Listen, what if Jesus told you that he was going to come back next week? He's probably not going to tell you that. I believe that we'll know the seasons. I don't think that we'll know the day and the hour, but we will know the seasons. If Jesus was returned next week, would you be disappointed because there's things that you didn't get accomplished? Or is this the cry of your heart as the bride? Everything, listen, everything that we're doing as, as the bride of Christ is saying, Lord, we're getting ready for your return. We want you to come back. We want you to come back, Jesus. This is the drive of my life. This is the reason why we started Overflow Church, because we're, we're ready for this man, this king, to come back on a horse and say, you are mine. I am here for you. And we're saying, yes, we're ready. We're ready, Lord. We've been longing for this. Forget all the little things that we've been doing in our lives. We want this. Listen, there's all those things, but why are we doing them for? Are we doing it for the advancement of the kingdom? Are we doing it as a preparation of the bride? Or are we just doing it because we want to get pleasure out of this life? What is our agenda? The agenda is to prepare ourselves. Up to a year. Up to a year. This bride would be making preparations, preparing herself, rubbing her face, doing her clothes for a year. And I love it in uh, Song of Solomon, it says, and though I slept, my heart was awake. That even when we sleep, and even when we're not like all in, 
our heart is awake. And we say, yes, Lord, we long for your return. Are we with joyful expectation of Jesus and his return? And the current moving of the Spirit? Or are we consumed by the things that fight for our affections? There are many things that we do in our life, activities that have zero to do with God. I'm all about doing other things, but it all funnels back to Jesus. How can I influence my community? How can I work the kingdom through what I'm doing? Listen, it's all about you doing the things that you're doing, but how does that influence the kingdom? Literally, doesn't it? It's just what I want to do. God doesn't have a problem with that. I think he does. Because our drive of our life as kingdom citizens is Jesus. Return. Return, Lord. I'm doing this. We'll plant a church. We'll do that. We'll do all this stuff to get the word out. We'll get on social media. Only reason why I have I get so frustrated with social media, the only reason why I don't just delete it all is because I know it's just another avenue to promote Jesus. I know it's another avenue to, uh, avenue to prepare the bride. I know it's another avenue just to get us ready for the return. Would this be the passion of our life? Jesus, this is what I want. Or are we sitting back kind of secretly hoping that I really hope it doesn't come back because there's a lot of things that I want to do? I know this is a hard question. I have to face myself at that sometimes too. What did Jesus, then I'm not going to get to see my kids grow up. Listen, this will be the greatest moment in human history. How awesome would it be for my kids to be in on that, to be part of that last day army? It's not about me. All these things fighting for our affection, the cares of this life, the daily grind. We're so consumed with life that we don't look at the return of Jesus as a good thing. I want to ask you this morning, in, 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 in light of this question, in light of this statement, yes to the longing for the bridegroom, what is on your mind mostly? What occupies your mind? And what does that have to do with Jesus It's a good question because he wants the core, man. He wants to love your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. We're just sitting around going, oh, I'm just so accepted in God. There's no urgency. We're just like, yeah, God just loves me. So I'm going to sit around with my finger in my nose. He's kind of enjoying the love of God. And he's like, will you get ready? Yeah. We want you to come back, Jesus. Like, this is the cry that he wants in our heart. We want you, Jesus. We're, we're ready for you in return. We're, we're working. We're grinding. We're doing all these things. It's hard. It's difficult. We're pressing in. We're digging through. We're going deeper. Why? Because we want Jesus to come back for us. We are a bride in waiting for our bridegroom. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17, it says, The spirit and the bride say, Come. The Spirit, and listen, one of, the, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in our life, we talked about this before, that the Holy Spirit is our covenant seal of, of our covenant with Jesus. It's, it's the seal of our covenant. It's the reminder. It's, it's like a, a wedding band on our finger to say, I belong to Leslie. The Holy Spirit is a seal on our heart saying, I belong to Jesus. But one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to put this cry in our hearts, Come! Come, Jesus! The Spirit and the bride say, Come! The Spirit and the Bride together inside of me come. Will that be the cry of our hearts?